Ryan Carroll is a Sayville, New York local and the CEO of Carroll's Kitchen, a grassroots nonprofit charity. Ryan lost his job as a chef in New York City due to the closures of restaurants from COVID-19. Instead of staying home, Ryan sprung into action and assembled a team of over 30 of the best hospitality workers to help people across Long Island in a safe and organized manner. Ryan and his team have fed over 17,000 people in need since March of 2020. From frontline workers, veterans, the elderly, children, police departments, fire departments, and shelters. Ryan and his team are not just donating meals, they're also saving small businesses as well. Ryan is running the kitchen at Bistro 25 East in Blue Point and donating a portion of the profits to different charities. He has worked with over 20 restaurants on the south shore of Long Island to help people during these difficult times. Ryan is here with us today to share more about the incredible and inspiring work he is doing. So let's take a listen. Hi, Ryan. How are you? Hi, I'm well. How are you doing today? I'm great, thanks. I'm really happy to have you here. I love your story. It's a story of resilience and how you used your passion to do good, even in a trying time. And I'm just really grateful to have you here and to share your story with my listeners. So let's first talk about how your nonprofit, Carol's Kitchen, came to be. Well, I was... I was a chef in New York City. I was a sous chef. Um, I was working at the Times Square Edition Hotel. And uh, when COVID hit, slowly, I um, they're closing restaurants in the city. Hotels were one of the last ones to go. So I watched all my friends lose their jobs. A lot of my friends are chefs. So uh, finally, they closed my hotel. I had to fire my entire staff. Uh, me and the other chefs at the fire, the entire staff, you know, like 40 five employees under us. We had to let them all go. You know, they have wife and kids and they've, you know, families that they've take care of. So that was the first thing that was like heartbreaking, having to fire the staff. And I still had my job. So I was like, oh, at least I still have my job. And then they closed the hotel. So I was out of a job. Didn't know if I can get unemployment. I had $800 to my name. I had a apartment in Jersey City and I have a ton of student loans. So I was like, straight, I was worried. And then my father works in, um, hotels in New York City. He's been working for Hilton for 42 years. My uncle works at the Grand Hyatt for 40 years, you know. So my whole family kind of works in hospitality and hotels and stuff. And both my uncle and my father lost their jobs and they're about to retire. So, you know, seeing that and just seeing just everybody so defeated, I was like, it was either like sink or swim. And I just started swimming. And I was like, I remember we, the day I left my, the hotel, there was a ton of food, right? Because there's so much food in the walk-ins and everything. So what we did, all the chefs, you know, we I loaded up a, a Uber XL with tons of food and brought it back to my apartment. I had two roommates. I never really saw my roommates because I was always working. So I was there for one day, and I actually like t- was talking to them, hanging out with them, and uh, and I, and I was like cooking and stuff, and they were eating all my food, and I was thinking, you know what? How long is this gonna last with me having no money in this food? This is not going to last very long. And I was like, and I do miss my family. So my dad was leaving work his last day of his job, March 18th. It was, I lost my job 17th. My dad was 18th. I packed up as much stuff as I could in my apartment. I moved to my uncle Rob's house in Massapequa. That next day I, uh, is when Carol's kitchen started. I went to restaurant depot with $800. I spent $612 and 37 cents on everything for chicken Parmesan rigatoni al vodka, including to-go equipment and bags and everything. So my uncle thought I was nuts. And my cousin too. They were like, oh, here's Ryan with another one's wacky ideas. I was like, I was like, just trust me. Just trust me. <laughs> and so I made a hundred chicken parmesans 
I made a hundred rigatoni alavacas by myself, packaged them. I called my, my cousin Joey to help me. We packaged all of the chicken parms and, and stuff. And I post on social media, Hey guys, I'm selling chicken parms and delivering them. And this is when COVID was like really hitting Long Island too. So it was like scary. My uncle didn't want me to leave the house and go to door to door, you know, and masks weren't available yet. I sold a hundred chicken parmesan's grandmother's ate for free. And uh, I donated all the profits to Island Harvest. So that was the first day. And now what Carol's Kitchen is now, that was the beginning. It has evolved so much in that, in that span of time. So what also motivated me to start Carol's Kitchen, my grandmother, she actually lives. So I'm at Bisho 25 East in Blue Point. I grew up in Sayville and my dad has a house in Blue Point. My grandmother lives. She's like 100% Sicilian, old Italian woman. She's like uh, 89. And uh, she like, what, both my grandmas really taught me how to cook when I was a kid and stuff, you know. But she was in a good Sam nursing home in Sayville during COVID. And I, and I knew that the nursing homes, everybody knew the nursing homes were going to get hit bad, which they did. And we pulled her out right in time. So that first chicken, when I was making that first chicken parm rigatoni, it was to bring to my grandmother. And I had to go all the way to Blue Point. So when I said I'll do free delivery from Massapequa to Blue Point, that's why I went all the way out to Blue Point. And I ended in Blue Point where I'm now. So I think wow. everything happens for a reason. Wow, that's amazing. And you fed over 17,000 people in need since March. Is that right? 19,475. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's amazing. And I love that you have the exact number. And you're yeah. feeding from frontline workers to veterans, the elderly, children, police departments, fire departments, and shelters. It seems as though you've truly done your best to take care of the community as a whole, which I think is incredible. And you say that Carol's Kitchen was born out of a passion for helping others through community, culinary, and caring. Can you take us back a little bit and tell us about your upbringing and when or how you feel this value of community and passion for helping others was instilled in you? I feel like just chefs in general and people that work in the hospitality industry have a certain part, like hospitality, a certain kind of empathy and compassion towards people to help people. You know, I feel like that's hospitality. One one just help like you're on their side, you're helping them in general. And when this just happened, it just kind of happened naturally. You know, I've never really done charity before. I've done charity at school. I did some uh, food drives and stuff like that to help out like one or two times, but I didn't really understand it a hundred percent. But now that I do, it's like, you can't stop, you know, it's like, you kind of get hooked, don't you? Like it's such a great feeling helping people, you know, especially when I've seen, we, I mean, I've been, sometimes I drive from Spionk to garden city in in a day. I drive all around Long Island and in the middle of COVID when we were feeding like 500 people a day with, we had different programs going on. We were feeding a lot of people and I was going into shelters and like really people living in really bad conditions. And, you know, it was sad. It was really sad. On Long Island, it's um, there's a really inequality is really big on Long Island. It's gigantic. Like I grew up in Sable. That's an affluent town. It's it's there's a ton of money there. I'm very privileged, but seeing how other people live on Long Island, it d- doesn't make any sense to me. And you're seeing Great. it probably so, uh, you know, and exacerbated it, now because of the situation with COVID, right? There was issues before, and they got all got exasperated. Biggest things, and you look at the towns, I'm always in the same towns, and it's not calling out the towns, like the school districts. I I had a thing with a school with a school district a couple months ago where, I, you know, I was calling them out because they weren't, feed, you know, they weren't, um, the kids weren't getting food. They were 
you know, I put my number on social media and I was working with social workers and teachers and I'm always in the same areas, you know, and the schools during the summertime, there's always an issue getting food to, cho- to uh, children during the summertime, always. But during COVID, it made everything 10 times worse because teachers weren't allowed in the school. Nobody was allowed. They didn't know the rules. Nobody knew what was going on. So, but at the end of the day, these families are still hungry, right? And a lot of these families in Central Islip and in Wyandanch and in Shirley, these, a lot of them are undocumented uh, immigrants, right? So they don't qualify to get unemployment. They don't qualify to get anything like that. And all the restaurants, a lot of them work in restaurants and, and, and uh, construction and stuff. And that was all closed. So they have no income. They have kids. And the worst part is a lot of the undocumented immigrants on Long Island live in one house, four to five families. And that's the truth. So you have 17 people living in one house with no food during COVID when you're supposed to be socially distanced. So that that was a major issue on Long Island. And, uh, you know, it was hard to bring that to light to a lot of people. Yeah. And I'm sure it's really hard for you to witness it, too. And when did your passion for culinary work first emerge? How did you get started on this career path? Well, I was 14. And actually in Sayville, it was called Collins and Mano's Restaurant. I went there to get a job as a busboy. And then uh, from there, I did everything in the restaurant there. I bus tables, ran food, dishwashed, uh, worked salads, worked every station, hot hotline, everything. That restaurant actually closed. That was during the recession, like 2000, I forget what year it was. 2008, probably. Yeah, during that recession. And they, they, they closed and then they reopened the landlord put a ton of money into it a really fancy restaurant they got a really great chef that went to the culinary of america sean blakesley and then he taught i learned so much at su 29 it was only open for like eight eight months and then it's buteras now where i, I opened buteras and it's still buteras but i learned so much under that chef and there and just cooking there and then i opened buteras and then i went away to caa and the rest is history wow so that's yeah. really where like your your first start in the culinary world was at 14. And I, I want to know a little bit more about like, what is the logistics of what you do right now? Like, how are you receiving uh, donations? And then what do the donations do? And also, how are volunteers involved in the work that you're doing? Like, how's the whole operation kind of working? Once again, it's evolved so, so many times. You got to keep pivoting and, you know, just got to keep changing things up, honestly. But uh, the same core goals, we're feeding people in need. Um, I pretty much have, we're doing it like once a week, for, so four times a month about. Um, I have a list of volunteers from the community, about 186 people that I reach out to. And I, I have a good seven or eight of them that I know will be there every time. So on Tuesday, Monday or Tuesdays, we come to Bistro 25 East. I go to Restaurant Depot. I buy a ton of food. I get donations from Angels of Long Island, Debbie Loesch. Like, I mean, truckloads of dry goods, diapers, water bottles, like a ridiculous amount of stuff. Um, so we have the dry goods. I have books from the book ferries in Freeport, cases and cases of books. Families bring me books for kids. Um, and then I produce, you know, I'll do like 500 salads, 500 pastas, 500 chickens uh, dishes. And then I'll we'll take that. We'll set up all the tables in the dining room and the bar. And then we'll have an assembly line of to-go trays and then assemble all the all the food, package it up, put it in trucks, and then bring it out to people in need. That's pretty much the logistics of how that works, feeding people. Right now, donations, people donate, they come to the restaurant, 
I sell t-shirts to raise money. We're selling gelato to raise money. People donate money and then I put it towards food costs. In the beginning, there was I had extremely high labor costs because one of my things was su- supply jobs because everybody was out of work. And I, you know, we hired 42 people, you know, and it we in like the four days in a week, I created an entire organization with with titles, executives and directors of transportation and social media and and graphic designers and everything. It was wow, wild. that's entire incredible. charity. Entire charity team that just on the phones with shelters. We were ranked number one in Long Island for uh, um, battling COVID and help, uh, help helping COVID. And uh, but it takes a village. Like it, it really took a village. I could never do this on my own. You know, at one point when uh, life started getting back to normal a little bit, and that eight thousand um, dollar everybody got money back from the government. Like that eight thousand uh, dollars, people started going away. You know. We stopped, you know, and I was like, let them go, let them go, let them go, you know, but I'm so grateful for all the stuff that they, everything they've done because they helped me build the entire organization, you know? It's amazing. It's just, it's remarkable how you sprung into action so quickly to create a new lane for yourself during this crisis, but how you also quickly constructed a model that's effectively helping so many other people. Having created my own nonprofit and now running it for 10 years, I have such respect for what you've been able to accomplish in such a short period of time because it takes a whole lot of hustle and grit to accomplish the level of impact that you've made, especially given the current circumstances. I always say that it's amazing what your passion can drive you to accomplish, and it seems like that's how this happened. I mean, you say... Obviously, it, it takes so many people to make the idea come to life, but it was your passion and your idea in the beginning that sparked it all. How would you say your passion, not only for cooking, but also for helping others, has driven you to reach that level of impact? My family, really. From the beginning, it was my family to help. People like my grandmother. You know, we bring her meals every single day. So if I stop this, then I stop feeding my grandmother. You know, she lives alone right around the corner. She calls every day. Ryan, I want this, that, and that today, you know, and we started an elderly grandparent program where every single Saturday, people that live alone with a caretaker, like my grandmother on Long Island, we had seven volunteer drivers and we would literally transport 120 to 125 meals to 125 different locations every Saturday. Now that's on top of different charities at the same time, but that was the, the that was at, at one point what we were doing, one of the programs, but just, you know, I'm there every day. So if I ever, sometimes I worked 147 days straight when I first started this, I was starting to get exhausted mentally, physically. And I took two days and went down to Florida and I came back like, all right, let's just keep going. And I have not stopped. I don't ever want to stop. I have uh, short-term goals, long-term goals for Carol's Kitchen for myself. But uh, at the end of the day, I, I just want to help people. You know, it. I, if I ever start losing motivation, I I go deliver food to my grandmother's house every day. And it's like, all right, this is the reason why I'm doing this. Uh, now, now I know, you know, I remember now. That's awesome. I love it. that it's rooted in that and something so personal for you. Yeah. And as you were just kind of touching on it, of course, we're all hopeful that this pandemic uh, crisis will end sooner rather than later. But I'm wondering what your goals are for Carol's Kitchen beyond this initial, the immediate crisis. So, you know, what are your goals going forward? I don't even where to start. All right. So one of my main goals, something that I'm working on now is trying to get, we're working on with grant writers, get grants to be a food transportation system across Long Island. So 
stop and shops and and um, Costco's and Whole Foods, all these all these supermarkets are uh, wasting ton of great food that that is edible and fine every single day, and that is a fact. And uh, so they're giving it all a lot of the dry goods, Debbie Lotion stuff like that. So they have the ability to give food away and things like that. So it makes no sense to me that these families in these high risk, low income areas of Long Island don't go to sleep hungry at night. Like I've been in people's houses and they do not have any food in their fridges or pantries. It is sad. Um, and it doesn't make any sense to me why, that people throw out food, that that grocery stores throw out food. But the issue is that there's no transportation system in place to get the food from the grocery stores to the people in need. And I want to be that niche transportation market to help th- those people. Sounds, and what it's, drove it's me- a connector. They, they, there needs to yeah. be somebody that's willing to be the connector and, and make that connection happen. Exactly. Um, that's what, that's one thing that I want to do. Another thing I'm working with, uh, this urban farmer, he does like vertical farming. It's my buddy, Corey, I get basil from, him. um, we're been working on a little side project, put raised beds and, and vertical and hydroponic farming into schools. So that's something I want to work on. A lot of my family works in schools across Long Island and New York state. So my mom's an administrator, but I think that school lunches and things like that, it's hard to do anything with the schools. It's very difficult. There's a lot of politics and there's a lot of I's need to be dotted and T's need to be crossed. But I think that I, you know, that's a long-term goal of mine is to put these like raised beds, gardens into schools and then indoor gardens too. And, you know, teaching kids about growing their own food and vegetables, because honestly, produce and vegetables is the future of our country. I mean, meat is just, the price is skyrocketed. It's unsustainable. It's, you know, vegetables are great for you. And I feel like children need to learn more about nutrition because a lot of kids right now, all they want to do is play Xbox and drink Mountain Dew and go eat Taco Bell. And it's sad because, and I, I, I protested Taco Bell like two months ago because you got a line at 36 cars inside of Taco Bell. And I'm, and then you got five Mexican restaurants in the area in Patchogue that are dead. I'm like, it doesn't make any sense to me, you know, and, and nothing against Taco Bell. I love it. But, you know, I, I'm a big supporter in, in, uh, in small business and I'm not big into franchises at all. I think it's awesome that you have that heart and that passion for this, because no matter what obstacles you're going to face, like you're saying with the schools, like how hard it can be to get into that, I'm sure you're going to find a way because you're passionate about it. And I think that the kids, you know, that generation needs people like you who care enough about them learning about nutrition and giving them the opportunity to have access to that type of food. So on this show, I like to ask each of my guests to join our ongoing conversation about community and compassion. Could you tell us about what your own personal definition of compassion is and how important you think the aspect of community is to the goals you're trying to achieve? Um, I would just say being sympathetic naturally, I would say, you know, like when you see, when I see people living in these certain circumstances, I want to help them. And if I, and I have the resources to help them and I know how to help them. So why would I not help them? You know, it's at the end of the day, it's just being sympathetic and empathetic with the way people live. And, you know, if you can give them a hot meal and, and books to, for their children and, you know, you slightly make their lives a little bit better and you make the world a little bit better. Honestly, one of the biggest things are these um, elderly care homes across Long Island. Say my grandma's 89 years old. My dad's 62. My dad, she lives another 10 years. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to take care of my dad and my grandma. People are getting o- older and older 
due to modern medicine, right? But we don't have really systems in place for like people like my parents to take care of their parents because they're getting older and older and older, right? So what's happening if you don't have money to put your your grandmother or your mother into a bristle and a really nice home, and if you're not around, then your your mother is she's elderly. They end up in these high risk, low income uh, housings where it's 300 people living in one house and they don't like in a bristle, they will get meals designed for them and their diet because when you're old, you need nutrient, great nutrients and stuff. Right. But when you're in the government subsidized housing, you don't get any food at all. You have to go to stop and shop and go buy food, go on a bus and go buy food from stop and shop. Right. And a lot of these people can't even change themselves and they're supposed to go to stop and shop and buy food for them. So what we done, we fed them multiple times and, and helped them out. And uh, there needs to be a food system there that's, you know, a government grant can be written, some sort of government work where Carol's Kitchen or, or local restaurants supply food for them. And you have a transportation system of food for them every single day because they're old. They need like they're human beings, like, but it all comes down to money, you know, sadly, every, yeah. Sadly. And I, I would say that's where the community aspect comes in too, that you're, you're seeing that need within the community and trying to find a way to bridge the gap there of, of how they can get more support and better access to quality food. That's it's heartbreaking to hear that they're, you know, elderly people are, are being left to fend for themselves basically. And you're planning to feed 5,000 people every single month with the help of the community. And you rely on donations to purchase food in order to keep your movement going. I'll be sure to add a link to donate here in the show notes for my listeners, but could you also share with us how we can learn more about Carol's kitchen and how we can best follow along with your journey and your mission? Yeah. I mean, um, I would follow on Instagram and Facebook. Um, the Instagram's Carol's kitchen underscore L I. Um, and our Facebook, we can look at my personal, it's Ryan Carroll. And then, uh, the business page is Carol's kitchen L I. And then our website, which is www carolskitchenli.org there is a carol's kitchen in south carolina we're not we're not uh affiliated with them so a lot of people that pops up the first time when they google it but it's carol's kitchen li uh, and they can donate right on the website thank you so much for taking the time to be here with us i really appreciate it i love what you're doing and i i think this is just super inspiring for people to hear uh you know somebody that's doing something in real time right now to help our current situation. And it's, it's really impressive what you've been able to accomplish so far. And I I wish you the best of luck going forward. Thank you very much. If you enjoyed this episode of be the good podcast, please like comment and share. You can also head on over to www.christymccaffrey.com to access more episodes of be the good podcast, as well as the true being blog. And remember we can all find our own way to be the good. Thank you.